It's time for a sneak peek. Sneak peek, sneak peek. Hierarchy is at the root of so much of the dysfunction of organizations. As soon as you start putting people in a hierarchy, here, here's what you get. You get the people at the bottom looking up and going, oh my gosh, what's wrong with my managers? And you get the people at the top looking down and going, what's wrong with my people? Whereas mm-hmm. what we really need to do is we need to arrange ourselves in networked, interconnecting spheres and circles. I mean, I'm a program manager. I've had mm-hmm. 120 people on my team, none of whom reported to me, but they all were working together to get something done that was so clear. And, mm-hmm. and some organizations are starting to reject this hierarchy thing. I mean, holacracy is the most extreme version of that. But, but the thing is, you need structure. But you don't need hierarchy, and that structure might change as the business needs change. And now on with the show. When you're feeling the pressure, take a moment to step back, pick up your marbles, and choose to lead with levity. Join us on the Lead with Levity podcast for fireside chats that will fill your bucket and help you get back to being the leader you were meant to be. Now here's your host, Dr. Heather Walker. Welcome back to the Lead with Levity podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Walker, and I have the pleasure of speaking to our guest today, Kimberly Weefling. Kimberly is the co-founder of Silicon Valley Alliances, where their motto is, you know what, management isn't leadership, and just because you've got a group of people doesn't mean that you've got a team. So they work hard to help companies turn individuals into leaders. And to turn groups into high-performing teams. So excited to have conversation with her today because we're going to talk about how do you achieve what may feel like this is an impossible task. You've asked me to do the impossible, but really, is it is it impossible or is it just difficult? So we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about some of her work with work shock therapy. Yes, you heard that right. Work shock. Therapy, <laughs> as well as her leadership learning laboratories. So, Kimberly, that was a mouthful. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you, Heather. I am so excited to be on the show with you. Looked at a bunch of your podcasts and titles, and I can't wait to see where this conversation goes. Me too. I'm I'm always just as surprised and <laughs> excited about it as my guests are. You you've been doing work internationally, which is so cool, and I love that you've been helping companies innovate and think about how can we do our work in a different way. How can we pull from other domains to learn from what they're doing? Because you know, a lot of creativity is saying, "Hey, that's working over there." What if I applied what they're doing over there, not taking it, but what if I applied that concept to my area? What could I create? What would be possible for me? So that's so cool that you're doing that kind of work with with yeah. teams. We call that cross pollination, and、mm-hmm. one of the exercises we do in our design thinking and creativity and innovation workshops is to imagine we're different kinds of experts. Or we even walk around town and we look at different businesses and we think, what if we applied some of what they're doing to what we're doing, and how can we cross pollinate? And like sometimes we even ask people to make a buzzing sound, like they're bees buzzing around.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very cool. That's I mean, try it with me. Come on, Heather, buzz、yes. with me. <laughs> 
next field cross pollination is happening. Right, right. If you just tuned in, I promise this is not the incredible life of bees. This is the Lead with Levity podcast. <laughs> and we are talking about innovation right now. We will be talking about other things in a minute. But if you want to innovate, you need to think about, hey, how can I get creative and, and think about this thing in a new way? So very cool. So you you have them going out and pretending that they're different experts or pretending that they're insects and animals and all of that. That must be quite a sight. Well, we try to keep a low key profile. We don't want anybody <laughs> pulling us over or taking us to prison. <laughs> but we definitely want to explore the world and through different lenses, see our own business and our own work differently. Like I have a little cup full of pieces of paper that have 60 different kinds of professions on it. And I just pull out one and say, okay, let's see. I pulled out barber. How would a barber approach this problem if if they were working on it, you know? And, mm. and it, it just opens your mind to different things. It's called, what is it? Just randomly mixing up our brains a little bit so we don't get so stuck in logic. I mean, you're a PhD, you understand. You get really mm -hmm. trained in school to be very logical and intellectual. And there's a yes. whole bunch of our brain that's not being accessed when we do that kind of stuff. Very true. Very, very true. I've been working to expand, <laughs> expand my my abilities to to do other things as well. So yes, I'm I'm with you there. I, it makes me feel like I need a cup with some professions in it too. So I might <laughs> have to do that. That's really cool. I actually, I have a master's degree in physics and a bachelor's degree in chemistry and physics. So you can imagine what a mm -hmm. long road it was for me to establish myself as a more well-rounded human. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you are the most well-rounded human I know. Wow. You, no. Yes. You all. So I'm, I have been on sort of Kimberly's sort of membership list, if you will, for a long time now. And I get the emails and she always has so much passion and energy and enthusiasm and with her videos and her words of encouragement. And you're right, from a stereotype standpoint, mm -hmm. I would never have said, oh, yeah, she has a degree in, in physics, you know. <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about work shock therapy? What is that? Yeah, our goal is always to change people's behavior, to change how they communicate. I honestly don't care if they leave being smarter or thinking differently, just as long as they're willing to act differently. You know, mm. you're an organizational psychologist. You understand yeah. cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. So we get them to act in ways that might be very much out of the comfort zone, but not in the danger zone. Right. And we get them to act in ways that are different than what they're doing so they can get results that are different than what they're getting. And by the time they leave the workshop, they are starting to feel more comfortable out of the comfort zone. And so their comfort zone is getting bigger and their possibilities are growing as well. Yes, yes. So I love, I absolutely love that. So when we're thinking about our sort of comfort zone, I almost imagine an actual zone around myself. And I've I've taken some time to test this out personally, Kimberly, with my own life. Just I started off as a very scared child, very shy, 
not uh, afraid to talk to people, afraid of a lot of things. And so I could imagine this, this zone of an aura, if you will, like this is where I can go. (laughs) And I've been testing that over the years, testing some of those assumptions and finding that, you know what, I was afraid of rejection or I was afraid that people would laugh at me or I was afraid that I would fail and I would look silly and foolish and all of those things. And then I'd go test it. I'd go try something and realize, okay, what I feared is the worst case scenario. That didn't happen. And in fact, maybe some cool things actually happen. And then your your zone gets to expand a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And one thing that's interesting about this, and I don't know if this is going to make it into the final cut of the episode, especially since we're talking about management and leadership and all of that, is the linkage between this concept and and drug use. So people, when you're using drugs as sort of a way to compensate for situations that you don't necessarily feel comfortable in, like you drink for liquid courage, for example, so that you can get through that happy hour, you're actually creating a situation where you're not able to expand your comfort zone. You're not able to find out what you personally are able to achieve on your own without that extra something attached to it. So I, all of that to say, like, for whatever reason, I felt the need to say that (laughs) maybe someone needs to hear that. I don't know, but I think it's really important point. My friend Jacques Mardiquette is part of the sober partying movement, trying to help people figure out how to party and have fun without being intoxicated or on drugs. Right. Our kids can do it. So what happened? What happened to us? <laughs> yes. 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 That is so cool. And then you also do these leadership learning laboratories. And is this similar to the work shock therapy or is it something completely different? Well, the leadership learning laboratories, it's our focus is leadership or team effectiveness or organizational culture, or sometimes we do design thinking, creativity, innovation, and we mm-hmm. do it in the methodology, what I like to call work shock therapy. We have actually a very detailed framework of our methodology. I'm very happy to share with anybody who wants to see it of how to take an individual, a team, and an organization from where they are to optimum. And it's mm-hmm. very <laughs> well thought out. I just like to summarize it by saying learning labs using workshop therapy approach. I would love to see it. I'm going to put my nerd hat on and say, I would love to see that. And if it's okay, I'd love to even share that with our audience because I'm sure they'd be interested in that as well. It's not something I've developed. It's something I've collected from what's proven to work. You know, as a person with a scientific background, this stuff has been proven over 30 years be very effective at helping Mm. move people from being managers to being leaders, from being Mm. groups of people to being real teams, and to create organizations that don't suck your will to live. (laughs) And (laughs) and to be able to be creative on call, right? To by design, be able to create breakthroughs, not waiting for that aha moment by chance. And if you can do this intentionally, why not do it? Okay, it takes discipline. And that is the one missing ingredient. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? Oh, we have to have discipline. (laughs) Without the discipline to do what's required, you won't get the results. Right, right. And by discipline, you mean like practice, right? That's right. 
to ah, practice. Yes, yes. To do practice what this makes progress. I'd like to just say, if you want to be a leader, you've got to do what needs to be done, whether you feel like it or not. Sorry, but you can't just get up and follow your whims every day. There is a methodology proven to work and you've got to adapt it to yourself. And if you don't do it, it's like someone who knows how to lose weight, but they still mm. don't do it, right? Eat less, exercise more. Yeah, I know. I still mm -hmm. got that COVID-20. <laughs> oh, right. It was worse than the freshman 15, right? <laughs> oh, yes. So I'm I'm getting a sense under the surface that you're speaking to specific challenges and obstacles, blockages, if you will, at the leadership level that you've come across, that you've experienced? Well, I have experienced them and they've been documented globally. I mean, if you look at some of the research out of MIT and Harvard and all that about why teams fail, it's mm -hmm. pretty clear the number one cause of failure in global teams is they fail to build trusting relationships. And as you very well know, that starts with creating psychological safety. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So and what then, can a leader do? What can a leader do? What can a leader well, do, Kimberly? <laughs> you know, They're so I, I busy, the, Kimberly. What can they do? Yeah, I'm, tr I'm really trying hard lately to learn to be more compassionate to leaders because me, I'm like, hey, you get up and you do what's required, whether you feel like it or not. And mm -hmm. I, basically that's pretty tough. And I think I would have made a Pretty good Winston Churchill, but <laughs> I don't think everybody wants to live like that. But what you have to do is you have to start by making yourself vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And boy, they never teach you that. And especially the United States, if you go to leadership school, I don't think the first thing they used to teach us was make yourself vulnerable. So listen, listen, yeah. in the United States, and this is well documented, we are taught when someone says, hi, how are you? You you don't have that many options of response. You're not nope. going to be honest. It's I'm fine. That's I'm right. okay. I'm well. You don't, you don't, you don't say the truth. Like, do you, do you really want to know how I'm doing? Then you're going to get that. Oh, oh no. Uh, I, I didn't really want to know. I was just kind of saying, that's just how we say hi. Yeah. So when you say <laughs> we don't learn vulnerability, we can't even be vulnerable enough to say, you know what? I'm not okay today. You know what? You got to interview my friend, Patrick Cowden sometime. He's the founder of the belonging approach. And what he teaches us to say is, how are you really to be there for the response? I'm so tired of having people using how are you as a way to say hi because mm -hmm. my response is usually have you read the news today how do you think i am mm. <laughs> oh my goodness or i you really don't care I, I know i want i want authentic interactions and so i'm really working hard to say hey what's going on what's happening in your life or what are the best things that have been happening to you as a result of covid What's the treasure hidden in the tragedy? Things like mm -hmm. that to create mm -hmm. meaningful conversations and let people know, I see you. I want to make a heart to heart connection. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I've been working on, I've been working in this space as well. And and vulnerability is definitely an area. It's a, cha it's a challenge, not for everyone, <laughs> but depending on what your, your background is, your, the messages that you were told about 
how you're supposed to be tough or, or how a leader is supposed to be tough, depending on all of that, you may or may not feel comfortable at all sharing anything about yourself. But I think it is important if you're in a management role to take some time and reflect on what you feel comfortable sharing. Like vulnerability is something that is important. And it is if you want people to feel like you're approachable, you're relatable, all of that, then you have to be able to share something. My mentor is the 90 some year old Dr. Edgar Schein, who's an organizational psychologist, I'm sure you know, social psychologist. Mm -hmm. And he's the guy who invented the term organizational culture. Mm -hmm. And he's from Austria originally. And so he sees the U.S. culture through the lens of a global perspective. And he told me the winning strategy in the U.S., the kind of stereotype is look good, be right, and win. Uh, How yes. vulnerable does that seem? <laughs> I'm writing it down. I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes, that is a good mantra. Look good. <laughs> what, what was right. the second one <laughs> be right and win be you know right. you should have dr shine on your show i'm sure he would be able to give you such great insights i actually hired him to have lunch with me every month for years for a couple really? of hours every month so that i could shift my understanding of the work that i'm doing from what i thought i was doing to what i was really doing which was transforming organizational cultures I would absolutely love to meet that man. I've quoted his stuff and I've cited his stuff in papers. Yes, I would absolutely love to meet Dr. Shine. Well, let's see if we can reach out. I haven't talked to him for quite a while during COVID. Of course, I didn't want to meet him in person and expose him. So I put his email there for you and let's reach out and see if he'll be willing. He's great on Zoom. Really? Oh yeah, okay. he's a high tech guy, sure. He knows okay. how to use all those things. Thank you. Thank you. You just made my day. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. So Kimberly, <laughs> let, let, let me get back. Let me, let me focus, okay. focus, Heather, focus, 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 focus your focus. pills, your pills. I always tell people <laughs> they, they say to me, Kimberly, your pills, whenever I get off track. <laughs> Look good, be right and win. <laughs> Now that's totally the opposite of what we need to do, which is, right. uh, you know, make a clear, vivid image of the future that we're going to create together and invite people on that journey and build trusting relationships and communicate, figure out how to solve problems and make decisions together, and then strive towards that North Star with clear goals and aligned goals and motivating and inspiring people. And when they're off track, helping them get back on track, you know, geez, that's the yes. work of leadership. <laughs> Yes, yes. It's such a shame, though. I, I like the slogan. So I think if a leader is trying to be vulnerable, and they don't know how because they're stuck in the look good, <laughs> be right, and win kind of mental mode, let's brainstorm together some ideas for how they might be vulnerable. I think when I think about being vulnerable and and what I might be able to share. Maybe it's something that a hard, hard, tough time, something that you went through that was tough, that you were able to overcome. That's a, that's a low risk area. Also, if you're having a bad day, just showing up and saying, Hey, y'all, I'm not at my best today. That, that in and of itself can free up your team to say, Oh, okay. 
that angry look on their face, it's not about me. It's, it's them. So I don't have to feel like maybe they don't like me today. Your turn, Kimberly. (laughs) Well, I will take my example from one of my wonderful executives that I work with. She starts every one of our workshops with a moment of vulnerability, she calls it. And she says, hey, here's a mistake I made this week. Or here's a failure that's troubling me. Or here's a challenge I'm facing I really don't know what to do about and I need your help. And so she makes herself vulnerable by sharing the struggles she has as a Mm. leader with her team openly. I have to admit, I'm so stunned by that. She's really the only person I've ever worked with at an executive level who's done that. And it was pretty much her idea because I was saying, geez, you know, it's going to be kind of weird having the top executive in the workshops. How are we going to make them feel safe with you there? Right. And she said, well, maybe I can start with a moment of vulnerability. What a beautiful experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like that. Okay. So make, make yourself vulnerable. And we're also talking about psychological safety. What else does a leader need to focus on when they're building trust? <sighs> well, of course, making and keeping promises. The one thing you can do to break trust And maybe it's easier to approach this like, what would we do if we were determined to break trust? Mm. If you make a promise and you don't keep it, people aren't going to trust you. And also, according to the research from the Leadership Challenge guys, Barry Posner and Jim Kuzes, over 80% of people on planet Earth will not want to willingly follow you unless you are honest. And Mm. honest means telling and also not holding back information, but telling honestly and sharing information with your people openly. So open, transparent, inspectable, how you're making decisions, how you're navigating forward. These are not easy things. Being an executive leader is tough. And now you're going to let people peer into the process and see how the sausage is made. Ooh, scary. It is tough. I actually had a conversation with someone the other day. The funny thing is I've had this exact same conversation several times with different people, completely unconnected, disconnected, whatever. They're not connected. But what I've heard from managers and from leaders and executives is, oh, these millennials, you know, they come in here and they want to talk about salaries and they have their their. PowerPoint presentations and they want to know how can I become an executive here in the next two years and what do I need to do to to get six figures and they're, they've got all these demands. And I find that interesting because I understand and I, I've definitely experienced that as well <laughs> with a few people over the years. But what I find interesting about that is you have a generation of people that value transparency because they have access to information, so much access to information. So they, they've they come to expect open information. And then if you are the kind of company that values transparency, or at least you have a poster on your wall that says transparency is, is one of our values, then it makes a lot of sense to me that you'd be able to have conversations like that about salary or about how you actually go from the front line to executive staff here. 
So I think in some ways they're challenging what we say we value. I don't know what your thoughts are on, on that, Kimberly. Yeah. I know it's a little bit of a divergence. No, no, this is, this is so critical. People talk about salary that for me, that's a distraction. That means that they're not satisfied in some other really meaningful way. You know, salary is like oxygen. You don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, oxygen, thank you. As long as you have enough of it, you don't notice it, you don't care about it, you don't appreciate it, you don't worry about it. And as soon as you don't feel like you have enough or you're not being treated fairly compared to others, then you are concerned. And it's real easy to look out there and find out what's a typical salary for someone in my job with my experience level in Mm -hmm. my area of the country or the world. So you've got to make sure that you're paying people fairly. But salary is something that's easy to talk about and also promotion when what's really at root is, do I have the full appreciation for my job that I'm doing here? Do I feel like I'm in on what's going on? Does someone here care about me as a human being? Do I have somebody that's helping me grow and develop into the amazing highest and best version of who I am as a Mm. professional People talk about salary and promotion because they're unskillful at really thinking through what exactly would delight me in my career. That's just the easy way out for both managers and employees. Yes, yes. Okay. Thank you for debunking that. And the hierarchy. Let's look at this. People come in and they want to know how to climb the hierarchy. Get rid of the hierarchy. I'm sorry. But the hierarchy is at the root of so much of the dysfunction of organizations. As soon as you start putting people in a hierarchy, here's what you get. You get the people at the bottom looking up and going, oh my gosh, what's wrong with my managers? And you get the people at the top looking down and going, what's wrong with my people? Whereas Mm -hmm. what we really need to do is we need to arrange ourselves in networked, interconnecting spheres and circles I mean, I'm a program manager. I've had Mm -hmm. 120 people on my team, none of whom reported to me, but they all were working together to get something done that was so clear. And Mm -hmm. and some organizations are starting to reject this hierarchy thing. I mean, holacracy is the most extreme version of that. But, But the thing is, you need structure, but you don't need hierarchy. And that structure might change as the business needs change. And I might be a leader on one project, a team member of another and a supporter on a third. Uh, the job is what mm. should dictate our position. And, and people who want position and title, ooh, that's so last century to me. So get rid of the structure <laughs> that motivates that really not so productive conversation. There's a whole lot more you can read about it, of course. But I would just tell you, I have an exercise I do in my workshops where we have Mm -hmm. four people and three levels of hierarchy and they get 10 minutes to do a task. And by the end of it, everyone is upset, even the teams that are successful. Hmm. What kind of task is this? Oh, it's just a really simple task. I set them down and I say, you know how much you love email, just use email. So I make them use post-its if they're in person or chat, direct Mm -hmm. chat if they're on virtual and they all have this information, but only one person has the goal. That's the Mm. person at the top, but they never Mm. tell Heather. They never share the goal with their team because they assume everybody knows it. And the people who are not at the top, they don't usually ask. Or if they do ask, people are too busy sending post-its or chat to each other to look and answer the question. So they don't do anything to stop, think, 
organize, plan. Hey, wait a second, Kimberly. Wait a second. We want to have a few minutes to plan this. Wait a second. What's our goal here? Everybody clear? No, they just go. They just wow. start working on something where they don't even know what they're doing or why. And by the end of it, even if they happen to get the right answer by some sheer brute force, everybody feels negatively and angry about it. <laughs> wow. And and you have these different hierarchy or different sort of structures set up. Are any of those structures the circle method that you were talking about? Of course, of course. And you think about it, just because we're in a circle doesn't mean we're all doing the same thing. The right. steering wheel is not the boss of the car. You know, it's just, <laughs> we, we need to understand that we're all playing a different role. And you, as the founder or the CEO of your organization, may have a very important role to play with different stakeholders. Doesn't mean that you're not on par with everyone else as a human being in your right, organization. Exactly. And all those trappings of power, like the corner office and all that stuff, get rid of that. I walked through the box headquarters, which happens to be in mm -hmm. my downtown, my hometown of Redwood City. And the COO was taking us on a tour of box. And he said, see that desk there? The one that looks like everyone else's desk right in the middle of this big bay of other desks that all look the same. That's the founder. Mm. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, this is a really... I love that you're bringing this because it's it's kind of that that next level, that next generation of how we structure work and how we structure ourselves. And I personally, I love, I agree that, you know, when we think about leadership, you're not always the leader, depending on what team you're on. If you're going into a committee, you're right. Sometimes you're just supporting. Sometimes you're just an individual contributor. Sometimes you're just a fly on the wall. So it makes a lot of sense that you'd be able to, to flex in those roles, depending on what you need to do. However, I'm just trying to also wrap my head around maybe the technology that you would need to put in place, the policies, all of the stuff that you would need to put in place to dismantle what we now know as the hierarchy. Well, you know, it's tough because if you walk through the hall and you're the founder, everybody knows. So it's really challenging to overcome that trappings of power, even if you don't have an official hierarchy or title. One executive said the day I got promoted was the last day anybody told me the truth, except for my mm -hmm. partner. And it's something you really have to work at. Um, I think I really love the organization that we have in Silicon Valley Alliances, where we're a consulting group. And each of us has our own individual consultancies and we mm. choose to work together and we pull each other in on our various work projects. And then whoever's the lead person on that project, they're the ones who openly and transparently shares the revenue sharing spreadsheet mm -hmm. and everybody weighs in on what they think everybody deserves. And then the person who's the lead makes the final decisions and it's wow. all open and transparent who got paid what. And I always make this work by paying everybody a little bit more than they think they deserve and paying myself a little bit less than they think I deserve. So <laughs> it keeps everybody feeling fairly treated. And when people don't mm -hmm. feel fairly treated, their trust goes right out the window. But right. The, and, and the behavior goes right out the window too. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and leadership is about acting like a leader, communicating like a leader, thinking like a leader, not position or title. 
I know many people sitting in the position of a leader, not leading. You are so right. And, you know, I want to make sure that we covered everything that we wanted to cover today. Did we get to talk about your work with executives? Oh, you know, that has been such a challenge for me. I'm so demanding. Even when my husband had to work for me briefly, he said I had unrealistically high expectations. <laughs> oh, you know, you're not the only one. Don't worry. Yeah. So <laughs> what I have learned recently from a wonderful colleague named Alexandra Scobie, who kindly offered a coaching session for me, was I need to have more compassion for executives. It mm. is a hard job. And I think you can speak to that very well, right? Yes. Yes. It is a hard job. And Oftentimes people think that, you know, they, they can do whatever they want to do. They have all the freedom, all the power, all the authority, but they also have a lot of responsibility on their shoulder. They have to sit with a lot of the risk of the business and, and make those decisions that others don't have to make. And they have to live with those decisions. All the complaints go to them, all of the hard questions go to them because others weren't able to solve them. So yeah, there's a yeah. lot sitting on an executive shoulders. So I'm working real hard to have more empathy and compassion for executives and approach them with greater care rather than saying, just do it like Winston Churchill, right? <laughs> Winston Churchill said uh, all kinds of things that are really inspiring, but he was a tough guy. And the next thing was, I thought that the models, the research on leadership and employee engagement and organizational culture, I thought those were common knowledge. I thought everybody knew that. But mm -hmm. it turns out that many executives have not encountered that information, don't know that there's research on how to be willingly followed and what kind of behaviors lead to that, don't know about the five practices and 30 behaviors of the leadership challenge model or the 12 employee engagement questions that people need to say yes to. So, um, and what is organizational culture and how to shape it? So I am starting to carry around those models with me in my briefcase. And I'm also <laughs> sharing these models with executives. And honestly, I met with one CEO last week and he said, oh, I've never seen this. So I'm starting to realize I need to share these models with them. They have not had the pleasure of encountering them thus far mm. in their careers. And the final right, thing. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I because mean, you you know, you studied how many years did you study all this stuff? And it just seems like oh, it's common knowledge, it's common practice, right? Right, right. Not. And then, you know, you start talking about it and people are like, Oh, why do you keep talking to us about theories? And I'm like, I, <laughs> I haven't even touched on any theories. It's <laughs> all data, baby. There's millions of data points for crying out loud, right? Yeah. So, oh. and the last thing I used to go into organizations and interview 10, 20, 30 or more of their people saying, Hey, here's the goal your executive wants. Here's the outcomes we're trying to achieve and we're committed to achieving. And then ask them what's working that can help us. What's not working. We should change what's missing. We should add. And if anything were possible, what would you instantly create? And then I would gather up all these responses which were treasures and then i mm -hmm. would share hey here's what's working not working missing and what we need to do differently and then i would say to the executives do you want to hear some of their ideas about how the executives need to change to help this happen and they would go oh yeah sure and as soon as i would tell them what was said of course sometimes it was mm -hmm. quite negative first question out of their mouth can you guess 
Who said that? Who said that? Who said You're that? like, it was anonymous. I have yes. no idea. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, so that's the problem is, yes. so I realized, thanks to Alexandra's coaching, I need to have the executives stand up in front of all their people and say, hey, we're on this journey. Here's the mountaintop we're getting to. And we're down here at the bottom of the mountain. And guess what? I need your help. We can't get there alone. And I am sure that I am somehow contributing to the problems that we are facing. Mm. And mm. I need your help to point it out. Now, will it be easy for me to hear? No. Uh, will I love hearing the, the negative comments? No. And I need to hear it. So, and then maybe even say, and here's a couple of things I think I might be doing that's actually making it harder for us to be successful in this journey. So if I if I can't get an executive to stand up and openly say something like that, I probably shouldn't work with them because mm -hmm. they're really not emotionally capable of handling understanding that they are contributing to the problems they want to change. They're not ready yet. Yeah, right. it's important for, I think, honestly, okay, Kimberly, I know we, we've got to go, but I, I want to say a couple more things and get your reaction and, and all of that before we close. It's not just the executives that don't believe that they're contributing. So- oftentimes it's employees as well. You know, you come into a company and you think, oh, what's wrong with this company? What's wrong with this culture? As soon as you enter, as soon as you become an employee, whether you're a manager, an executive, an employee, you are contributing to that culture. Every single thing that you do contributes to whether or not it's a good place to work or a not so good place to work. And so it, Kimberly, I'm seeing it all the way around, a lack of accountability for, oh, for yeah. your personal actions. Yeah. Well, it's like a bunch of monkeys in a tree, you know, when you're at the bottom of the monkey tree, you look up and you see a bunch of butts. <laughs> and when you're at the top <laughs> of the monkey tree, you look down and see a bunch of smiling faces. And every layer in the organization thinks that somehow the layer above them is causing the problems until you get to the very top and you're sitting there saying, gosh, aliens landed on planet Earth, <laughs> set up sick, twisted, dysfunctional organizations that suck your will to live and then left and nobody's to blame. <laughs> Yay. Wow. I, my, personally, my preference is to pretend, pretend that I am completely responsible for what's happening here. And if that were true, what would I do to change it? And that mm -hmm. pretending often leads to some real breakthroughs because, geez, I am contributing to some of the problems, actually. <laughs> mm, so that extreme ownership model. Oh, I love it. Extreme yeah. ownership. Right on. Yeah. Okay, Kimberly, this has been great. I've got I've got some good quotables here. I've got hashtag salary is like oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And what would you like to leave our audience with today? I want Any them last to words? understand, yes. Management is not the same as leadership and groups of people aren't a real team. And all it takes to be one of the best leaders on planet earth is to practice the five areas of the leadership challenge, which is to model the way for your people to inspire shared vision that makes them go, yes, let's go there to challenge the process and do things differently, this out-of-box thinking, to en enable other people to be successful. You're a servant leader. You help them be successful. And then to encourage, encourage, encourage the heart, which is the least of the five practiced areas. Encourage people. Everyone's facing challenges. Everyone's struggling. 
inside. It might be hidden, but they need a kind word, a positive, sincere comment, recognizing and praising their contributions. And they need to believe that somehow they can become the highest and best version of themselves by working together on the journey that you're on. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much, Kimberly. I really do appreciate you coming on to the show today. And for those who are interested in learning a little bit more about you and everything that you do, where can they go? Check out my website, weefling.com. It's hard to spell, but it's worth the trouble. KimberlyWeefling.com tells more about the details of the kind of work I do. I have a book, Scrappy Project Management, which will help you achieve seemingly impossible things predictably and repeatedly. Get that on Amazon or just call the police. They'll know where I am. (laughs) (laughs) Say Kimberly, Kimberly. uh, Yes, (laughs) we know. (laughs) Thank you, Heather. (laughs) Thank you. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes, y'all. Check it out. Thanks for tuning in to the Lead with Levity podcast. To get resources mentioned in this episode and find out what we're all about, check us out at leadwithlevity.com.